Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's time once again for another episode of Health Talks with Dr. Trin. The one show, the only show that shows you the path to a healthier life. One conversation at a time. And today, well, we've got the conversation I've been waiting for a long time. Dr. Trin, fill us in. Who'd you bring in today here? All right, everyone. Welcome and uh, good morning. Um, my good friend Jordan, we go back probably about 10 years when we were in uh, Vietnam together, I believe. Good morning, uh, brother. Yes, yes. We uh, were uh, kind of like missionaries in Vietnam together doing some uh, some work. And uh, it's been 10 years, hasn't it, Jordan? <laughs> yeah, it's been amazing. Yeah, it's been amazing. been great to get to know you and now, I'm, old, I'm old enough to remember when Dr. Trin, when you said that phrase, we were in Vietnam together, that had a whole different meaning. That meant but, for my yeah. generation, we were serving in what they call the great American war over there, what we call the Vietnam war over here. Um, mm-hmm. it was a different time and place in Vietnam here, Vietnam, that, that phrase had a completely different meaning from a vi- from a peace loving, helpful, let's help the world phrase to a a violent time against a communist insurrection, you know, erection. It was, it was a whole different thing here. And you really are the perfect person to kind of talk about that segue a little bit, because you were one of the people flying out in the helicopters, the, uh, fleeing the country at that moment, uh, that vivid image that I have as a kid of the last helicopter leaving Saigon, uh, since renamed something else or whatever here. Uh, um, I'll talk about that a little bit. Is it, is any of that resonate or is that just old guys like me here? The fact that you guys were back in Vietnam for peaceful healing purposes here. Is that? Uh, yes. For, uh, yeah, very interesting that we use the same terminology. Uh, yeah, I guess the, the Vietnam veterans, uh, were together for, for a different reason. And, uh, and Jordan and I came back, uh, for an absolutely different reason uh, 10 years ago. So very, very interesting to point that out. What brought Jordan back to Vietnam? Jordan can go anywhere to help people. Why are you in Vietnam helping people? Yeah, yeah. So I've been on a a decades-long mission to try to figure out what's going on in the world and and learn. (laughs) You you and and everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) What the hell is going on around here? Yeah. And and so... Who do so I see about this? Uh, Who's responsible for all this? Yeah, How do yeah. we change Who's this? Who's in charge around here? Those are exactly the questions. So, so that journey's led me through, you know, dozens of different countries, and um, and one of the the places I was um, attempting to explore a little bit was was over there, and so um, yeah, it was amazing. So, ended up uh, on a plane flight with Dr. Trin and um, some other amazing folks for a couple of weeks over there, and you know, it was really amazing. You you brought up the war, but it was incredible um, as we went through, you know, some of the the very rural um, areas of, of Vietnam to watch the the ongoing um, destruction, let's say, of people's healths and lives from all those chemicals and um, everything, you know, decades ago. Agent Orange, we couldn't, with, we couldn't find you know, the enemy yeah. in the jungle, so let's just drop a chemical and, and re- eliminate the jungle, not wondering what will happen to all the people left or all the people below when we drop those chemicals yeah that was yeah exactly so now you know 50 years later we're still you know you still walk through and um you know we were fortunate enough to you know walk down the street and just be invited into little people's little huts and homes and you know uh, kids with you know kids and elderly people with uh, deformities and all sorts of um, issues flowing from that and it, it's an interesting segue to to another conversation i had this week too speaking of dump, dumping chemicals on our land i had talks with dr trin um last week and then another food systems expert where we were discussing that we're really doing that to our our own soil here in america and around the world dumping you know these Pesticides, toxic life inhibiting chemicals sorts. that, yeah. that could have generational impacts yeah so all right walk us back uh Jordan, tell us how this journey began. Tell us who you are and why are you trying to figure out, how are you trying to figure out the world? Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm maybe 
odd, but uh, from the time I was, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll accept that definition. Light up front. <laughs> we'll from, run with that. T- He's odd. All right, but let's let's explore that a little further here. Right. But from the time I was ten or twelve, I had a, um, I had a, I'm a, I'm a fairly spiritual person, and I had a visceral understanding that during my lifetime. Uh, the world was going to shake in profound ways and um, there was going to need to be action on behalf of the people of goodwill. All right. So and stop, so, uh, stop right there. Yeah, you, you just yep. said something. 15 years I've been doing this several years with Dr. Trent. Nobody has casually said, you know, when I was a kid, I just really could feel in my body in a very tangible yeah. way that this world was, was going to go through some earth shaking experiences. What, what are you a prophet? I mean, are you, uh, are you getting uh, messages from God here? Are you, uh, are you, are the heavens opening for you and you're seeing stuff we can't see? Yeah, that's a, it's a hard question to answer, but I will, um, I will say that the way that I experience my life is through a, through a spiritual lens. And so, um, you know, they, the way that I perceive those things is they feel like they burst in on my consciousness. And so you can call that a dialogue with God. And, but, but yeah, I've been trying to live in, um, you know, dialogical relationship with God from that time. And then, you know, then God and the universe are kind enough to bring external events and other people who can perceive things around and speak. And so it's like, I've I've been trying for now, um, I'm, 38 years old, right? So I've been trying now for the last 25 plus years to try triangulate and figure out what that means to carry that, you know? And so, so how I responded to that was, was to basically say, okay, this, this is a very strong impression. It's being spoken into my life by, in strange ways by other people that, that shouldn't know those things are being impressed upon me. So what, what is a young man to do? So basically it's kind of <laughs> what I ended up doing. So when, when I was around that age, um, I, I was grabbed by um, the words of Solomon from, you know, thousands of years ago in the book of Proverbs. And in the opening, in the opening couple of chapters, it, he, he lays out this search for wisdom and, and he describes the search for wisdom as the most valuable thing in the world, more valuable than gold or silver or money. Nothing you can compare, nothing you could desire could compare. And so he talks about seeking it out like you're searching for hidden treasure. And so from that age, I was kind of the beginning. I'll just point out that we are streaming this live from the University of California, Irvine, that would completely agree with that philosophy, the search for wisdom. But they charge for that search. And uh, it is a gold-colored logo. I'll point that out here. So maybe there is some gold in the wisdom that they're offering here. But wisdom is not something you just wander around and find. You have to, in today's Mm -hmm. world, go someplace and study at the feet of a master. You have to uh, immerse yourself in technology. You have to uh, become, uh, you know, there's so much to consume that you have to find some structured way to do it. You don't just wander around and see what's over here and talk, bump into some people. That's, that's, that's like what they did in the Bible. Nobody does that anymore here. Yeah. I had a very simple, uh, a very simple mechanism that I followed that, that worked for me and it might work for other young men out there or women, but it was basically to take on as much responsibility as anyone would entrust me with and try not to do things that would eventually disqualify from me, me from whatever was asked in the future. So it was like, okay, if, if I'm preparing for an unknown future event, I need to become as competent as I possibly can given my inadequacies and limitations and try to not do stupid things that would qualify me, disqualify me, you know, 20, 30 years down the road. Right. So that was kind of my, give me an example. I I hear what you're saying, but I don't understand it. Give me an example. Yeah. So, so examples are, um, uh, so I started, uh, working very, very early, you know, the, um, you know, doing, doing side stuff before you're legally allowed to work. And then as soon as, you know, the day I was able to get a work permit, I was in the courthouse doing that. I I figured out that, um, at 15 and a half in California, you can get your motorcycle permit, whereas you can't drive till you're 16. And since it's a little old 1974, 125 CC Honda, your parents can't drive with you. So you're allowed to 
be alone out on the road. You just can't go at night or on the highways, you know, so, so the day that I can, you know, I'm getting motorcycle permits and work permits and going to work at bagel stores in the morning after ice cream stores in the afternoon and, you know, just doing the little, the little thing, right. And pretty soon you're a, you're a shift leader and then a manager, and then you, you get some more opportunities. And then I discovered that, um, you know, I was reasonably uh, competent in, in academics. So I discovered that instead of making $5 an hour at the ice cream store, uh, you know, parents would pay me $40 an hour to teach their kids music and math and, you know, those kinds of things. So then you get back into our, you know, the entrepreneurial flow. And then, then my grandfather had started one of the large, uh, earth moving businesses on the West coast. And, and so probably when I was, I don't know, 17, 18, he came to me and said, okay, this is, this is great. You're doing well. Uh, but if you want something real on your resume, yeah. um, I'll call the guys at the company I started that I'm no longer involved with, but maybe they'll give you a minimum wage job again, you know? So then stepping back to take on some responsibility in, in a heavy civil engineering company that's, that's moving earth and building roadways and dams. And that just led to larger and larger projects, portfolios of projects, eventually, you know, joint ventures, starting companies, you know, an amazing, uh, amazing journey out into nonprofit stuff. So that was kind of the quest. So it sounds like somewhere you're glossing over the end of it here because that's the part that stumbles most of us. I want to do good. I want to go wander the world. I want to. I want to in search of knowledge. But I got to pay the bills. I got to make a yeah. living. I got a family yeah. to feed. I got a mortgage to pay, and that usually derails most young people away from all these great. And when I sit in college, what about you, doctors? When we'd sit in college, we'd talk for hours into the night about the world and great things and thoughts. And somewhere along the way, the heart, when we left school, I got debt to pay. I got a family to feed. I got something to do here. And that becomes the all consuming passion. There isn't much time left for doing good and for wandering the world anymore. Talk about that, Dr. Trent, uh, or, or, or both of you, you know, how do you avoid that problem? I won't call Absolutely. it a trap. It's uh you know, it's uh, called living life and and paying the bills and the mortgage and all that. And the, the question is, how do you um, direct or repurpose a lot of what you already do? Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your talents? What are your skill sets? And while you're using those talents and skill set to pay the bills and, and work, how can that also be repurposed to uh, to address the needs of your neighbor? And uh, whether it's local or international. Because we tend to think of philanthropy as somebody only for those who have made enough that they can step back from those daily responsibilities. It's it's a bonus. If I get enough, then I can give back. But for the majority of us, we can't give much back, one, because we don't have a lot of leftover, and two, because it takes so much time and energy just to get through the day and to survive life and to maybe grow a little bit and get a few perks. I want to take a trip. I want to get a bigger house. I want I, a few things I like or desire. You don't have to be greedy about it, but just things that you want or your family wants or your kid wants. They need new braces. They got to go to college, other sorts of things. That can become, that I find in my own life and many people, that can push all those other things away to some other point. When I'm retired, when I have the time, when I have the resources, if I ever have the resources. And uh, Bill Gates is a perfect, I don't know Bill Gates from a hole in the wall, but just what little I've read about him, one of the things that he was criticized for much of his life, he was, so, he was, he was a workaholic, clearly, like many of these people. He worked round the clock daily and uh, never gave to charity much, never got involved in donations, very wealthy man. But he was so focused on building this legendary company. And it was only when he stepped back and said, I, I give up that burden. I finally hand it off to somebody else, which very few entrepreneurs ever do. Hard to let go of your baby. But when he finally did that, suddenly he's flipped and become one of the greatest philanthropists of all time. Donating reportedly, he and others, this pledge he's going to give away almost all of his money during his lifetime here. I mean, from one extreme to the other, from don't talk to me, I don't have time, to I only have time to do this. Isn't there a middle ground? How have you worked that needle, Jordan? Are you, are you, have you made so much, have you done well enough financially that you don't have to worry about the questions the rest of us do? Or, or is there some wisdom you can give us how to do both? Yeah. Yeah, man. So I've, I've walked the, I've walked the full 
gamut. Um, and, and, <laughs> you know, part of the reason I'm, I'm, I'm working, uh, doing side jobs and things is, is because when, when my, uh, when my father decided to give up his lucrative biz, building business, um, so, so my father was building, building homes for people. And as he was building people's dream homes, he was watching, you know, the addiction and the marriages falling apart and families struggling. And so he, he went, man, I'm, I'm building these beautiful homes for these people. And inside of those homes, you know, the families are, are falling apart. And so he ended up, he ended up feeling uh, deeply impelled to start a little non-denominational church down in San Clemente. And so, so that, that shattered our um, financial existence uh, very early, you know, so I, w- I was blessed with the opportunity, you know, when I wanted to go to the movies with my friends at, um, you know, 11 years old or whatever, or when I wanted uh, a pair of shoes that was different than the ones that were on sale, I got to pay for those if I wanted it, you know, to do that. So that, that drove some of that early entrepreneurial activity, but, but there was another part of my life that, um, at the, at the same time, there was some sacrifice there to serve for our family. Um, as a grandson of a successful businessman, I was really blessed. You know, he would come along and say, Hey, okay, you want, you want your first guitar. Um, I'll tell you what, I see you working hard, whatever you raise for your guitar, the next three months by working hard, I'll match it. So I'd go out and grind and, you know, work for $5 an hour and right. get tips. And I'd, I'd come to him and I'd be like, all right, grandpa, the last three months I saved $500. And he'd be like, okay, you know, good job. Here's your other 500. And then I could go get a little nicer guitar than I could have. Right. So, so my grandfather gave, gave me, um, gave me some amazing opportunities and steps up along the way from that $500 to matching the $1,100 I put together to, to get a motorcycle so I could get a $2,200 motorcycle. Instead, right. there's a lot of difference between a one and $2,000 motorcycle, right? Yeah. And so, so, so you're climbing. One, runs one, runs, one doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> one goes <laughs> but, fast. One goes slow. <laughs> one goes slow and one goes a little faster. So, but you said something really important is that I think is essentially the crux of the whole thing, which is there will never be enough left over. Yeah. So, so if you start with that premise, I think you fail immediately when the thoughts conceived because there will never be anything left over. That's like the law of life and nature yeah. is that your expenses will expand to fill what you have. You know, the, the, a ta- the task time allotted a task, a task will expand to fill the time you allot to it. Right. And so things just kind of gradually expand. So that's where this, you know, timeless wisdom from thousands of years comes back and is maybe helpful, which is that you always have enough if you give out of the first fruits before anything else. Right. So, so what I'm, you know, encouraging myself to do and others, right? It's like, we would like to be committed to this hundred percent of the time, but we can always take a 10th of our time, let's say an hour a day nominally, right? And you can find an hour a day if, if you think you don't have it. You know, there's been many times in my life where it's like, shoot, I need a, I remember one time in my life where I was, I was a little lost on this journey and needed to get back in touch with the spirit within and figure out, you know, directionality. And, and I had, you know, wandered in the desert for a few years. And so it's like, all right, God, um, I'll make a deal because I remember that somewhere. I, I, I love said, making deals with God throughout the whole Bible and throughout <laughs> my whole life. Haven't we all tried to make a deal with God? Just make a deal. Give me this. Here's the deal. God, you do this. The deal. I'll do this. Right, so I, I, I did it differently than that. Though. I, I remembered a verse that said, um, you know, you'll seek me and find me if you search for me with all your heart. Right. And I was probably, this was, this was maybe in my uh, mid twenties during adjustment phase. So I said, all right, I'm going to get up earlier. I'm going to get up between four and four thirty every, every day. And I'm going to show up and I'm going to show up for an hour and see what happens. And so I showed up and I started praying and I started writing and I started redeveloping vision, getting back in touch with those callings from youth. So, so that was how I approached that basically. Cause you know, at the time I'm, I'm, I'm working, you know, way more hours than most people know. You know, I ended up another, another shortcut I took was, um, you know, involved sacrifice too. So that's a sacrifice to get up earlier and work harder. Right. Another place that one of those decision points came, you mentioned sitting in college and, and thinking about when you're going to, when you're going to engage life. So I was lucky enough to, um, to go to Pepperdine my freshman year in Malibu. And then I was, I was lucky enough to get to spend my, my second year of school in Heidelberg, Germany with an unlimited rail pass school, four days a week and an unlimited rail pass. 
And wow. so I, I came back from that and was, was interning. Um, I, I try, you know, every time I had a week off school or a summer or anything, you know, Easter break, Christmas break, I'd go back in and, and intern and, and work at that civil construction company. Right. And so I was, I was about three weeks before going back to my, my junior year of college, getting ready to surf and play in Malibu. And the economy was busy and we won an incredible job, you know, about a $45 million job, really complicated right on the beach was going to be, uh, you know, it was a, it was a marquee, it was a marquee job. And they were looking for a project engineer with a college degree and five to seven years of experience. And so as we ticked closer and closer to me getting ready to go back to school, you know, the guys that we're working with, were going through, you know, dozens of interviews, dozens of interviews. And, and the guy who was going to be the project manager kept going to the CEO saying, man, we're interviewing all these people with college degrees and five to seven years of experience. I'd really, really like to bet on Jordan. I, if I'm responsible for this thing, you know, I think, I think we could succeed with him. And so the CEO kept saying, no, 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 we need someone more experience. We need someone more experience. Finally, you know, three weeks before I was go back and start school, uh, the CEO said, okay, you know, you're in charge. So whatever you think you need to succeed. So, so I ended up making the decision instead of going back and playing uh, on the beach for another two years to go, okay, if, if this, if this requires a college degree in five to seven years, and I can take this opportunity now back to the ethos of taking on as much responsibility as anyone entrusts me with this potentially cuts seven to nine years off my path. Yeah. You know, so I, I ended up starting working, you know, 60 hours a week and then finishing my degree at night and on the weekends. And, you know, then, then that made me financially self-sufficient at, you know, by 21 that let me get married. Um, to the woman I, I fell in love with when she was 13 and I was 14. So by the time I was 21, you know, I'm, I'm married, I'm, I'm working, you know, on, on some complicated projects, you know, uh, going to school at nights and weekends and kind of ended up following that ethos through. So, so the, to summarize that, I think the critical concept is you always have enough to give a 10th of your time and resources up front to the highest overarching and uniting principle in your life. And then that can expand over time as you're faithful in that. That's the principle of tithing. I'm a Catholic. We don't ever grow up with that tradition, but in so many Protestant traditions or evangelical traditions, that's just a fundamental start from where you go. You give a tenth to, yeah. uh, for, and, and the initial tenth, not the leftover tenth. Exactly. That's There'll hard. never be a tenth that's left over. <laughs> yeah. When I get, so, when I got extra, you can have it, but first I got to pay the bills. And that's a hard thing to do. That, is a, that really, I've never done that. That really struggles with that concept of, boy, I barely got enough to get by this month and you want a 10th of it. I'm just going to yeah. take a 10th of it. I could use that really bad over here of my credit card or to fix my car or to do something else here. There's a lot of yeah. other good things. What do you think about that? Are you, do you tithe Dr. Trent? Do you, are you a tither? I, I tithe when somebody reminds me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to call you out and feel, I don't tithe. I've never tithed in my life, but I hear people say, no, that's just an important part. I start with that. And tithing's easy if you've got lots of money. Tithing's hard if you're getting by, if you just get Yeah, by. exactly. Yeah, there's, a, there's an amazing story um, that illuminates that too. That's that famous story of the, of the widow's might, you know, the, 2000 years ago as, as Jesus show, is showing up and basically calling out, you know, all the corrupt religious and political people of the time, just like we are now, right. you know, he, he makes this observation that the, that the religious, you know, elite are going around. And even when they're picking herbs from their garden, you know, for their dinner, they're taking like one sprig attempt and bringing it to the temple. Right. And so, so then it's, you know, time to go give and, and all the people come in parading and, you know, music and, and loudly giving their lots of money. Right. And this little, this little old lady shows up and puts in a couple pence. And so Jesus is watching this and goes, she gave more than any of them yeah. because they gave a little out of the abundance they had and she gave everything out of yeah. what she didn't have. Right. Yeah. So, it, so it's so deeply an issue of an issue of spirit and heart, you know, and trust and belief. Trust, yeah. I'm going to do faith. this even if it doesn't feel good. I'm not sure I can do this, but I'm going to take a, a leap of faith and try something. All right. So you go from that kind of mentality you so, so that's what I was trying to get. So you found a way to make a living and to do the normal things and you're married. Do you have yep. kids and stuff? Yep. Do you have children? And Yeah, I have a 14 year old daughter. 
Okay, so then how do you, you got a 14-year-old daughter, that's 110 uh, day, uh, 110% effort, uh, just watching them, worrying about them. Remember, that's the age. Oh my God, 14, and they're fighting you, and they're wandering and floundering, and and you worrying constantly. I had a 14 year old daughter. Oh my God, it was 11 year old daughter was fun. 20 year old daughter is okay. 14 year old daughter is a nightmare. Uh, and so I've got a, I've got a good one so far. <laughs> she's amazing right now. Yeah, she's amazing. Keep that alone. They lose their mind. I don't know what Dr. Trin's daughters went through, but mine lost her mind for a couple of years, I swear. And I wasn't yeah. the only one saying that. Uh, I mean, uh, only other parents saying that. It, it's an intense period of time uh, for all the reasons we know, hormones and peer pressure and growing up and all that kind of stuff. So how do you find the time to wander the world with a career, with a kid, with a family? You know, is, isn't that hard? to do doesn't that yeah, call yeah. you home so i had some great um w- when my life freed back up so so i was going through uh, you know maybe just 10 years of 10 years of grind going from building um you know just to encourage anybody out there who decides to walk this path amazing things happen when you do so for i just to fill in a couple more details for instance so, so I take that job. I leave, I leave college early and decide to make the sacrifice of what would certainly have been very fun for something that certainly was going to be really, really hard and stretch me and grow. Right. So I'm out there way over my head on this really complicated job, but guess what happens? You know, within a year, that highly competent project manager who won that project in the first place gets promoted to go open up a new division for the company. So now I'm, I'm a, young person, you know, in the flow of this job. And I'm the, really the only one that, you know, knows about it. He gets pulled off. Right. So, so the, the responsibility just starts really, really quickly ratcheting up, you know, so you go from running, running projects to, to figuring out how to bid projects to running portfolios of projects. You know, a few, few years later, I got, I, I was able to, um, to help our company win a, win a reservoir, uh, project, a dam project. And then, you know, ran, ran that by, by 25, I was the only person in the company other than the CEO and chief estimator who had dam experience. So then when we won a, a dam that was hundreds of millions of dollars for the international joint venture, you know, they send me up to go, to go, um, represent the company on the joint venture. It sounds like it paid off. Well, your, your effort. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so you're, so you're like, so, so back to you, back to how you find the time, right? So, so it's, it's continual sacrifice, you know, so, so then I go and I start my own company while I start my own company. I'm now doing my MBA on the nights and weekends. Right. And so, so it's a full scale sprint, you know, of, right. of a lot of let's call it sacrifice, hard, hard work, hard consuming work for 10 years. And, and that ain't easy the, that, that many of us quit along that journey. I desire to do the same thing you do, but am I willing to work that hard? Most of us aren't. Most of us at the okay, end of the day. So, yeah. so this is kind of where things started to break. So, so when I, when I started to get back in touch with that vision, you know, going back to showing up and trying to pray and write and rediscover what I was here for, you know, by the, by the time you get lost in that grind of 10 years of just right. larger and larger projects and, you know, it's just like, blah, blah, blah. so finally it's like, okay, whew. you know, I got to the point where, you know, I had, Move, move my family out of town when my daughter was two to take on a, you know, a half billion dollar joint venture, you know, my marriage is falling apart, you know, so it was like, all right, we need to recenter. So we, which so is we, what your father saw when he's building luxury homes and big homes for people with big pocketbooks and on the outside, everything looks happy. And on the inside, the, the pressure, the grind, the, the, everything exactly. of, of achieving that can be destructive. Exactly. I'm not exactly. trying to, I'm not trying to push against success. So, success is great, but, but success has a price to it. Exactly. So, so I got to the point on, on that big joint venture where it was another sacrifice where then I chose to sacrifice my career potentially for, for my family. So, so we were two years in and, and we had basically got to the point where we knew this was going to be one of the most profitable jobs in the company's history. We had it set, you know, everything was going, the team of teams was running well. So I, so I went to the CEO and I I just said, Hey, uh, this may be expensive for me, but my marriage has fallen apart. I need to get my wife home. You know, we've got this job set up. Well, I'll transition it faithfully over the coming months. Yeah. You know, we can do this slowly, but I need to get my wife back home near her family and, and we need to regroup, you know? So, so then, then it's like, just like you said, okay, I can see where this road of 
more and more work on larger and larger things while my family suffering leads. And I don't like that. And so I'm going to sacrifice, you know, that potential for that in order to get back and recenter. But, but one thing that happened when I got back and recentered was I got back in touch with this idea from my youth of, okay, we're here on these work sites and on a work site, there's this uniting idea of the designer's intent, the purpose that we're all here for. Interesting. And, okay. Right. We're building something. And yeah. We're building. And, and we might be from 200 different companies, but we're all here to bring this intention into reality. Mm-hmm. And so so where my life started opening opening up is, is I decided, okay, let's try to find some people who can think about planet earth, not as a giant abstraction that is too big to do anything about, but as a small finite place that if we wanted to, we could get in touch with an intention, a shared highest overarching and uniting intention. And within the course of a generation, we could marshal an unprecedented global joint venture to bring that intention into reality and to set our feet firmly on the path towards a better future. And so, so when I started saying that, that's a mouthful, that's a, that's a, it's a mouthful, right? So, so when you when you tried to start saying that, right, yeah. it repels a bunch of people, right? Yeah, Somebody, it's like, what does that mean? Has he lost his mind? Just get back to work. Yeah. <laughs> get back to work. But but what it did do was it found people, right? Because it found the few people who resonated with that and wanted to think at that level. So I ended up with other people Doc, in my CEO Doctor Trent groups. thinks at that level. He's going to blush, but he thinks at that level. He really does. He he has exactly. a global. Yeah bigger picture vision of himself. He's not just a local country doctor, so to speak. I mean, he's, uh, he, he, he's been that and does that, but he still thinks on the metaverse of, uh, uh the universe of the, the backwards, backwoods of the world, you know, in a way that most of us never pay two seconds of thought to any of that effort. So to finish answering your question and tie that in, you know, that's why Dr. Trent and I met, right? Because we were, we were two people thinking big about other parts of the world. And that, that was where I was going with that, right? You ended up with people going, Hey, you're talking like this. And I don't hear very many people talking like that. I know this one person (laughs) who might want to talk with you. And so they connect, right? And then all of a sudden you find yourself, you know, following those connections and coaching and mentoring and wisdom. And so I ended up being able to build a little portfolio of companies and put people in position to run those companies that freed up my time to go be um, working to figure out how to survey and whether we could find good people around the world. And those kind of adventures led me to, to Dr. Trent. So yeah, let's hear, yeah, let's hear about some of your uh, visions for the world, Dr. Trent. He, he doesn't pretend he has any of them. He jokes and says, I don't see any of this stuff, but the guy sits on how many boards are you on now here? How many things you're always talking about, the metaverse and other futuristic things. Uh, Once in a while you drop out and you go to Vietnam or someplace like that. I mean, you have found a way to to do what he's talking about, to balance a day-to-day existence, raise a family, run businesses, be successful, and still wander the world in in your mind and in in your body here. How do you do that, Dr. Trin? It's very simple. Just don't take your ADD medication. Okay, is that it? That's works a, really well. He makes a yeah. joke of everything. It's so but, simple. Uh, no, I love Jordan. I love his vision. Um, he started a nonprofit called uh, Lionsburg, and uh, and we've been chatting about it for a good number of years now uh, on a regular basis. And what is Lionsburg, and what what is it you want? To, what is the what do you want to do, Jordan? What when, is Lionsburg? When I started. Um, went through a few years of um, talking with those few people that wanted to talk about that level. And we challenged ourselves to see if it was possible to get our heads around a plan for the transformation of our lives and our world within a single generation. And that took years, you know, it takes years of prayer and discernment and strategic thinking to even try to conceptualize something that might possibly work. It was like a consuming undertaking for years. And, and at the end of, of that, and a lot of travel around the world, as I said, to try to look at what was happening on the ground, what I realized was that, okay, we, we have all these different unfolding crises in the world. Daily. Daily. 
so many issues. I mean, there's there's hundreds and hundreds of millions of people without adequate food and there's more famine, of disease, without adequate uh, education. And there's, yeah. you know, I mean, being in these little clinics in Vietnam with Dr. Tren, you know, dressed in coveralls, doing surgery on people's eyes and, and watching the cataracts fall out onto the floor and people being able to see for the first time and going, we can we can give a blind person sight for $30. Yeah. Like, why are we not marshalling our collective resources so the blind can see? Like, it, you just, you get in touch with it and just, so what I realized was there's people like Dr. Tren already for decades who have been working tirelessly on the front lines of all these battles to make the world a better place, you know, right. sacrificing and marshalling their communities and marshalling resources. I mean, Dr. Trent is one of the, one of the best people that I've seen at building community and networks around, is around he himself. Really, he really is. I, I, I'm amazed sometimes at this guy that I even get to talk to him, meet with him. He, he comes across, I just joke, no big deal, but it is a big deal. He's, he, and yeah. That, Quiet ways, yeah, that, he's that, making a big difference. Yeah, yeah, that ease and sincerity. So, so when I when I discovered more and more people like Dr. Trent around the world, I went, okay, the problem's not a lack of effort on the front lines of these battles. I mean, we we as a human species, the the force of good will around the world is alive and active. Right. But every one of the organizations is struggling with things, you know, under-resourced and lack of attention and trying to do what they can to organize their volunteers. And so what I ended up seeing was this massive dichotomy. It's like, okay, over here, I'm spending millions of dollars to build world-class systems and technologies to connect and empower a team of teams. And we have the best technology and the, you know, the best software and, and, right. and we're meeting daily and we're focused and, and we're supporting each other and we're building back-end and systems. And we're building so we're dams it. or other giant things out of nowhere, the impossible tasks that we're just doing. I mean, you really exactly. are, you're, you're used to making the impossible possible. You're used to taking these giant visions of a construction thing, a giant dam, and I'm going to bring that to fruition and bring it to fruition. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, fruit, it's to fruition. It's going to suddenly appear. The seed is going to grow into a tree and a fruit's going to start to fall from that tree here. That's an amazing. Yeah. So, so the, the vision of Lionsburg was basically, okay, well, what's needed, what is needed in service? If we are going to avoid failure and succeed at this moment in history, What's missing? What's the gap? And and I was reminded of this um, this prophetic vision from thousands of years ago, where where a prophet's standing and looking over a valley of dry bones, and as the valley of dry bones is spoken to, as the prophet starts to speak the truthful words that bring forth life and future, the dry bones start rising up and rattling, and then coming into form and coalition. Right, and so so that was kind of the guiding vision. It's like okay, these are all like amazing, valuable, unique parts of the body of goodwill strewn across the earth, but separated and divided, we're all struggling and we all lack the true transformational power to actually execute on the missions and the values that that we share. And so that that's the heart of Lionsburg basically. So it's like, okay, what are we gonna need? We're gonna need to forge a backbone infrastructure to connect up these groups. We're gonna figure out, need to figure out how we map and know what we know. We're gonna need dynamic knowledge repositories. We're gonna need shared templates and prototypes. We're gonna need to figure out how He's to- He's talking resource. entrepreneur talk again here, Dr. Tren. He's talking all this stuff that I hear all day long at UCI's Applied Innovation Center. Like this Absolutely. is just the normal way most of us talk. All right, we need data sets. We need uh, templates. We need uh, paradigms uh, with shifts. We need uh, organizational structure and everything. We do need all that because too often, I, I, I listen to listen to this show for a while. Dr. Trin brings in people like himself who decided I can drive by and just ignore the problem or maybe I can stop and pick this up. The, the famous story that somebody told me years ago, everybody's heard this story, but I'll say it one more time. The, the parable, the tale, whatever, however you want to describe the little, little kids at the beach, um, uh, in Mexico or someplace with his parents and in wash all these starfish and the starfish are going to die because they can't get back into the water. And it's just one of those occurrences. They all got washed up and they're all going to die. And this kid starts picking them up one by one. There's millions of them and he's picking up one by one and throwing them back in. One of the locals said, what are you doing? You can't save them all. He said, ah, maybe not. 
but I can save this one. And he throws it in. You know, we can do something one at a time. So the people, Dr. Trinbings, I'm thinking of two people in particular that struck me. One was in the midst of the beginning of the Ukraine crisis, the war, the invasion, whatever you want to call it, somebody goes back. She's a successful, I don't know, you, you can fill me in, Dr. But she had some big job in like San Francisco, work for some web company, and she had a call. I don't remember if she had a connection there or not. I think she did. Yes. And she just said, I'm a quit. live call from Ukraine. Yeah. And she <laughs> says, I'm going back. Yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do, but we're going to, we're going to get blankets. We're going to get food. People are displaced. And I'm going, she says to her boss, I guess I can quit, but maybe you can give me a sabbatical because I'd love to come back. I don't want to quit this career, but I got to go right now. I got to get on a plane and go there. And he says, go his job says go. And yep. she ends up on the ground organizing, hustling, getting a little, as I recall, like a little storage unit and send us some food and send us some rice and send us some blankets. Suddenly she's running this triage on the ground, sort of like what you're talking about, bringing this knowledge database, uh, logistics uh, feeling. And, and I don't know what she's doing, but she's making a difference in some way. Exactly. She's doing something. Yeah. She could have sat she's back in her chair and comfy chair in San Francisco and said, oh my, that's horrible and then flick the channel to something else. Or she she flicked the thing. And the other guy that struck me, there was one guy in your show, I forgot his name now, but he was driving along, I want to say Sand Canyon or someplace here in, in Orange County, some big street. And he sees a bunch of migrant workers over there and like day laborers, migrant workers. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't know these people, but he somehow he gets his call. What if I went over and talked to them? Yeah. I can easily drive, I've seen them, and I can just shake my head and forget what I've seen and keep driving to wherever he's going, or I can stop and go over and see if I can help these people. Why? What? That, that, that road not taken, that turn when we all have a chance to do something and we just keep walking. We keep, uh, we just change the channel. Dr. Trinbing's on people who don't change the channel, who suddenly change their life. And uh, that's mind boggling to me. That's what you're talking about here. Now you're talking about organizing all these little individual people that suddenly responding to some call and putting them into a team, into an action group, into a giant network of that can build dams against bad things. Uh, that's, that's dams against injustice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And it's like the, the way that the way that my being works is when I see that infinite beach of starfish, it's like, okay, yes, and hooray to every child who's out there one at a time. Right. And it's like, for the love of God, could we please get a little organized yeah. and we can do 10X, right? It's like, and so it's, it's totally noble to do it one at a time. There's nothing wrong with that, but there's also an opportunity cost, but, but because by keeping our heads down, struggling in isolation one at a time, we're foregoing the opportunity to arise and unite as a truly capable, competent body that could actually execute Absolutely. and move towards the future we want. And so it's like, what, what's the cost of, what's the cost of doing nothing right. is one. And that cost is maybe more expensive than we possibly know. Right. So let's do something. But then what's the cost of struggling in isolation and failing to live up the, to the potential we could have together, right? And it's... it's Because the kid really right? only did save a handful. Obviously, we know the end of the story. Millions of them did still die. But the child made an effort, took a stand to save a few. And, the, and, yeah. and that's the point. Do we even bother to save a few when it's so overwhelming? I'll, I'll give you a different example. I see this all the time. I've had this discussion with people, uh, ch big charities that have come in here. And I say, you give us such a big, overwhelming problem that you lose me right at the beginning. It's so overwhelming what you're trying to do. Stop uh, cancer, um, stop poverty, stop. Uh, and, and I was related to this is a horrible example. Don't beat me up for doing it, but it's, it's a real example. I grew up watching starving babies on Af from Africa. Every, that was the charity that kept popping up, save the children, feed the children. And they'd show you these horrendous images of these children. And your heart was tugged to, to reach in and pull $10 a month, $20 a month. But at some point you quit because it seems so overwhelming. Uh, it isn't that I don't want to give, I can't affect this. I can't stop this. 
There's nothing I can do to change this. Next week, the children are still starving. And next month, they're still starving. And you get over, you get burned out of this whole thing. I give and I give and I give and nothing happens. And so I quit. If, if take that analogy and apply it to anything. And, and I think that so often we get good people give up because it just seems so hopeless. Yeah. 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 I think that goes back to struggling in isolation. It's like, yeah, um, I think that's part of it. I don't feel like I'm making any difference. It, so I quit. So, I mean, just two quick threads to pull. One is that the problem with treating, there's a difference between charity and true transformational justice mm. that addresses and transforms the root causes of suffering. And so, so often we, we will get overwhelmed and we will fail if we're looking at all the symptoms and chaos of all the people starving, all the people struggling to pay their bills, all the people imprisoned in debt, all the people who have lost a loved one to some form of premature death or suicide or substance abuse, you know, all of the people who are split from their families over some religious or political issue, you know, all the people who are like, so, so when you're looking at all of those issues and then you have, like you're saying, you have profoundly emotional pitches from charities who make their existence addressing them. God, God bless all of us who are doing that work by the way, right. but it's overwhelming. So, so what, what we've tried to do the last years in, in construction, we have something called a root cause analysis. And it's, it's kind of a simple thing, but one of the most famous tools is like the five whys. So, you know, somebody gets hurt on a job site. Why did that happen? And there's a proximal explanation. And then if you ask why, again, you get a little deeper. And if you keep asking why you get closer to the root cause. So there was okay. a, there was a famous, you, you uh, got to ask why five times you're saying you got to ask why five times you can't say, why did he get hurt? Well, because we didn't have safety helmets. Okay, then why didn't we have safety helmets? Why didn't we have safety helmets? Yeah, and then so well, you got to go, you got to ask why five times to get to the real core of, well, we don't have safety helmets because, I don't know, we don't have enough money or something here or whatever. It is. Yeah, yeah, and so you end up, and what you, what you end up finding is when you have 10 different accidents and you, you might get 10 different answers on the first why, mm -hmm. but by the time you ask why five times, you start getting to the true root causes of the way you're operating. Interesting. I've and when you transform... That when you transform those deep root causes, then all of a sudden all the symptoms go away. Right. Yeah. And so you have to get to the root cause. So, so that's where we're at as a human species. There is absolutely no way that through charity treating and subsidizing the tremendous suffering of billions of people flowing from the deeper root causes, there is no way that we can use 1% or 10% of our time and, and energy to fix the problems that we're causing with the other 90%. Right. The only possible way is to get to the root causes of how we're being and cooperating and competing and destroying each other and the earth as a human species that's yeah. causing all of that. Right. And then you start to get there. So there was this priest in South America who said, when I, when I ask why, when I, um, when I feed the poor, people call me a saint. When I ask why they're poor, they call me a communist. <laughs> a radical. <laughs> the radical. Yeah, you go do charity. It's like you treat and subsidize the causes of dysfunction, cover them up, make them go away. Why are all these people starving? It's like you radical communists like support <laughs> you support yeah. the program right I'll, so. I'll switch this to another gear and maybe we'll bring dr turing back in again so he always talks about the dysfunction in the current medical system on the one hand we live longer and have healthier lives than we ever have we live into our 90s many of us now and everything so you could argue health's a wonderful thing and we figured it all out but there isn't anybody that feels that our health system couldn't be better it's it's a machinery you get two minutes in front of the doctor they're really only there to analyze the immediate problem and not look at the holistic solution. What's causing your pain or suffering or back problem or something here. I'm going to treat that immediate symptom. And I basically only have two tools in my kit, a pain, a, a pill or a procedure. I can't look at a lifestyle change. I can't look at nutrition. I can't look at alternatives of any sort. I got five minutes to fix this problem. I got a pain. I got a procedure. Which do you want? Move on. And then they come back and stay in the system over and over and over again. And the system rewards everybody for, for, for that process of pushing them through. 
and it doesn't really solve a lot of the the chronic conditions that take more thought or effort or life changes or holistic. We've all got, it's modern world. We all have depression, anxiety, diabetes, uh, overweight, uh, high cholesterol. These are just chronic conditions we just accepted as part of modern living here. And could we change this? Could we fix any of this? First, you got to ask why, and then you got to be a radical and want to change the whole system and uproot the whole system here. So it's easier just to treat, put a Band-Aid on it and keep, keep it moving. Isn't that what we do about all these problems, Dr. Trainer? Are we just putting a Band-Aid on it? When I give 10 bucks to feed the children in Africa, I put a Band-Aid on it. I don't know that I've, I've helped stop the bleeding for that minute, and yes, that's a, some value. But after time, I get tired of putting Band-Aids on it, and then we go to the bigger issue, why doctors and nurses quit and burn out and kill themselves and everything here because they just feel hopeless. I'm just, I'm just endlessly putting band-aids on things here. There's a large group of Kaiser medical professionals on strike right now. Largest ever. You know, is that 85,000 professionals or something? I I think it's the largest technicians, uh, radiology tech. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's pretty crazy. And they can't yeah. recruit people into this field. All the money that you can make, all the need for this thing, and that's having struggle to do it because it's burnout. And it's burnout because all I'm doing is just treating, the, it's triage. I'm treating the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. I'm never stopping the problem. I'm just stopping the bleeding for the moment. Isn't that the way we approach so many problems? Health problems. Uh, you nailed the head. And, uh, <laughs> and we've had lots of discussions, uh, Jordan and I, about uh about how the current health system operates and and it's a system that is built upon sickness not upon wellness yeah right yeah you're rewarded sickness is a good thing we if i made everybody well we'd all go out of business i mean the business is about about treating and we need a business we need charities to stop the bleeding to get the food out to people immediately. That woman, wonderful woman goes to Ukraine. I'm going to go on the ground. I'm going to disseminate food, but she's not stopping the problem. The problem is there's a, there's a conflict going on there. And as long as there's conflict, you're going to disrupt people. People are going to die. People are going to get disrupted. Bad things are going to happen. But until that happens, somebody steps in and puts bandages everywhere, the triage approach. Uh, so you do need triage on the battlefield, but at some point you got to step back and say, how do we stop the battle? Dr. Trin, what are some of the high points of a, of a, we've been talking for years about what it would look like if we, the people, were to we the people. That's a, a radical, citizen. right away you're a radical. When you say we the people, now you're a hippie, you're a communist, you're something. You're, you're if just, we the people were to, um, you know, set up a citizen-led joint venture to help liberate ourselves from the medical industrial complex and start really moving yeah. towards total integrated well-being and development of body, mind, and spirit and community harmonized with the ecology. What are some of the high points of that vision? What's, what's the radical communist uh, disruptive uh, response to that? We the people. That, that just rattles me. When I, I think there were a group of men that stood in a room in, uh, in uh, Philadelphia and put those words on a piece of paper, and they started with, we the people. That's Jordan a- was a <laughs> presidential candidate. You were? Did you run for president? Okay, so he asked you a serious question. Let's, let's talk about let's talk about our vision for let's talk oh. about a positive <laughs> let's talk about a positive vision for the future of citizen-led healthcare that liberates humanity from the destruction education. of the current system. Education, 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 uh, which is uh, lacking, lacking, lacking in the healthcare system, uh, right? The with a 10 to 15 minute visit with your doctor, there's no time for education on, on prevention. What can I do to prevent why I'm here in yeah. the office? And right? I'll say that's on both sides. The doctor doesn't have much time to, un- to get educated about who you are and what the problem is. I only got 10 minutes. How much can I learn in 10 minutes? Absolutely. So, so we, the people need to be educated. It all starts with education. And an education doesn't really truly exist today on uh, on the issue of healthcare, wellness, and prevention. Uh, our system again is designed 
where you only see the doctor when you're sick. You don't yeah. see him when you're well. But uh, but the doctor doesn't have time to tell you what you need to do to stay well, whether it's metabolic syndrome, diabetes, heart disease, cancer, Alzheimer's. And so, so the problem is compounded by the fact that we have uh, large organizations and corporations that push for profit over wellness, right? Uh, think of the, the food industry. Uh, sh- the, the word sugar is hidden in the label, right? We don't use sugar. We use different words. Uh, fructose. You know, or corn, something. corn syrup. Right? Corn, corn syrup, uh, fructose, sucrose, sucralose. Um, and... Uh, and so we have a an industry, and, and not to sound not to sound conspiratorial, not toward health, but toward uh, profits. Not to sound oh. conspiratorial, but they hide the word sugar because sugar is the addictive quality. Sugar is sure. what makes it. <laughs> sugar is what makes it go it's, down so, so, it's well. so It's so fascinating that um, usually when we talk about healthcare and the, what the solutions are to to, let's say. 70 plus percent of the U.S. population that's suffering was some largely unnecessary disease. Usually we talk about healthcare solutions. I asked you what a positive vision for the future of healthcare is, and you said education, 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 and you didn't even mention healthcare as a doctor. So, so like d- double tap on that. What percentage of the suffering that you're seeing in emergency rooms and in your practices, I mean, what percentage of that suffering is self-inflicted that if people only knew that we were destroying our bodies and our earth through the way that we're producing and consuming food and all that, I mean, what, what percentage of that would, would fade away if we, if we had full knowledge? The vast majority of it will fade away. Um, You know, the fact that two out of three Americans are overweight, uh, the fact that there are 13 cancers that are linked to being overweight, uh, the fact that two out of three Americans are either diabetic or pre-diabetic, and the number of diseases that stems out of diabetes, uh, including heart disease, um, you know, Alzheimer's and things of that sort, uh, most of it is lifestyle choices nutrition what we decide to eat or not eat uh what's in our refrigerator um how much exercise we want to do how much sleep we want to get anxieties depressions other things not all saying but a lot of that is uh, environmentally it's a lifestyle driven disease i think it's the great american But, but i can't really put it on just lifestyle choices because we have I mean, when there's McDonald, you know, at close to uh, the elementary schools, <laughs> yeah. right? And, and fast foods and all that. A lot of it is industry that has driven this. When the, when the soil that we have under our ground is um, tainted with, uh, you know, pesticides, herbicides, and whatever else is there, and, and the nutrients have been sucked out, uh, oftentimes it's not really just a lifestyle choice because oftentimes there's no choice. Yeah. It's what you have. Yeah, there's no choice. Right. That's yeah, what they say. Yeah, I mean, you, you see, you decide to eat healthier and you go into the store and you pick up a beautiful, healthy vegetable, not understanding that there's very little nutrient value and that it's full of, it's full of chemicals that actually inhibit the process of building up life and destroy your microbiome. And so it's like, yeah, yeah that, that's so. It's modified. It's, so it's genetically modified. And, it's, uh, it's designed to to grow disease free and to be a certain size and to have certain uh, uh, desirable characteristics to it as a commodity, which may not, which may inhibit some of its original value as a produce. And, and back to this, we're kind of doing this root cause analysis a little bit right now, right? Because, because we could have had a conversation on how we're going to fix the healthcare system, but Dr. Trent, who's, who's one of the, the best and most widely networked, doctors I know yeah, me too. says the way to fix it is through education by we, the people together outside of the structures that are, that are causing this. Can I, can I put a pin in this and, and see if we could do a part two someday? Cause we have run out. I spent the whole time talking yeah, about yeah. your personal journey and trying to get you to open up, tell us about the struggle of getting to where you're at. Cause that's to me, the most interesting part of it. We all want to do good. Why don't we? Yeah. You want to ask yeah. the why? 
then start with that. Why don't we? Uh, and what is it that keeps us from doing good? Uh, and that's why I was trying to understand why you, uh, how you, when you, why you, all that stuff. I got some sense of that. Uh, and now we're getting into the bigger question of how we can band together as we the people. I'm going to suggest that you rebrand your whole company and call it we the people. The three most powerful <laughs> words that you can say, the three most radical words, when you say we the people, you immediately sound like a revolutionary. And that's exactly yeah. what this country was founded on. With those three words in the Declaration of Independence, we the people, in order to form a more perfect union, uh, do we hereby, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The whole preamble, exactly. uh, uh, whether that's the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence, I always forget. But we the people is where it all started. Uh, when you make those things and when you stand up and say that you do sound like a radical, uh, yeah. well, we, we know that a house divided against itself can't stand. And so we, the people have a decision to make. We can either get back to that or we can watch the last couple elections at the tail end of a failing experiment. Yeah. And so, you know, there could not be a more critical moment in human history where the greatest experiment in democracy ever hangs on the line and it hinges whether we, the people, Bad. you know, the, the 80 or 90% of us who are sane, wise, good, loving, just people can figure out how to find each other outside of the corrupt systems and structures that are separating and dividing and deceiving us to forge a more perfect union among ourselves capable of, of leading into the future with wisdom. And, and I'll go even one step deeper. Do we, the people, still see ourselves as one people or do we want to burge into different communities? Should we really separate? Will we lead to civil war? Will we lead to disruption? We already are so far apart, red states and blue states, uh, rural and urban, black and white. We've already dividing ourselves to be a house divided against itself. Will we, do we want to come together as one per, is there a uniting principle behind all this? We once thought there was that, that overlooked, yeah, you're from here and you're that color and you're this, but there was something that bound us together. I don't, I think those bounds are coming undone and I'm not yeah. sure. That what's what's the one thing that unites the many? What What is the unity amidst the diversity? What is the fundamental tone that causes the divine symphony to sound, right? That's the whole thing. That's the whole moment of history. And, and so we, the people have to decide if we're one a group of individuals under god right under the highest overarching uniting principle and the truth and love and justice and goodness and beauty that flow from that our shared goals and aspirations and visions for the future or whether we're going to watch our children and grandchildren suffer in the disintegrating ruins of our failure to come together across the lines that divide us those are the those are the stakes folks are, are, is there a we or is there just a me we live in and a world can of can we me. make that we big enough? Yeah. Like we maybe we maybe became three on this podcast yeah, today. Right. And and that's a small army capable of changing the world. <laughs> right. And and so can we make that we big enough to actually develop the transformation that's needed? That's your goal. Because we're always me. I'm just finding a way to make it. I can't change the world, but I can save this one starfish. I'm just talking about individual actions I can do to make me feel better and make me feel like I'm doing something. But the fear is what I said earlier is you get frustrated, you fail, you think it's hopeless and you give up without united yeah. action. I don't know what unites us anymore. I sure know what divides us, but I'm not sure. Did what this conversation us. help unite us? I think Dr. Trin's right. Conversation of any kind. That's my, he'd say, Dr. Trin would say education. I'd reframe it and say conversation. If I only talk to yeah. my doctor mm -hmm. instead of if I, uh, I'll give you a perfect, I know we're going a minute over, but uh, we had somebody on the show the other day and she was an independent pharmacist and she was a fascinating woman. She talked about uh, integrative medicine and how you got to integrate other, uh, other traditions other than Western traditions. And she's Indian. So it's Ayurvedic for her and some other things and on and on and on these big, big, big picture things. And I said, when do I ever, and she said, starts with your pharmacist. Your pharmacist has lots of data, but the pharmacist needs to get educated like Dr. Trin about other things and cannabis and other things. And I said, whoa, 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 step back. Even if that person had all this knowledge, when do I talk to my pharmacist? I went in there the other day and it's a pill pusher. I'm sorry. I don't want to be too harsh, but it's, it's an assembly line next. And they, there is a line over there you can stand and they'll groan and roll their eyes. Okay, you want to stop the, the machine and go over and ask questions. There is a format to do that. And they're happy to do that, I suppose. 
but not too happy because they got 20 other people behind you at, at CVS trying to get their prescription. And so I tend to view them just as a transactional, as a, as a clerk at the counter. I don't view them as a consultant in my health process. We don't talk. We don't talk to each other. We don't talk to anybody. So even if there are knowledge sources out there, even if ed, we were all educated on what to do, my argument is we don't, it starts with what we're doing. We got to talk to one another. Then we can learn from one another and then we can learn about what's happening, but no conversation. We definitely need a part two. Yeah. Let's put a yeah, pin on this. It would be a deep pleasure, gentlemen. Yeah, thank you so much for the conversation. <laughs> and uh, Paul, great to be with you today. Uh, Dr. Trent, thank you for all the amazing work that you're doing in the world. And uh, thanks for thanks for having me on I today. I welcome meeting people like you guys because I'm one of the good. I'd like to do good, but I probably don't do much good in the world other than wring my hands and try and get people to talk. That's my only superpower. Uh, well, that's the, I mean, that's the amazing thing, I guess, just to, you know, Paul, uh, this is encouraging for someone, but you, you know, you have an incredible platform here with OC talk radio and yeah. every day you're, you're doing this dialogue and you, you know, so everybody that thinks that there's not a profound way that they can arise and unite as part of that force for good and move these needles. I mean, there, Paul, there is you know, we can develop a quarterly plan and with your superpowers, you can move the needle because it starts with a shift of consciousness. It starts with yeah. education and enlightenment and then coalescing the enlightening people who are helping one another, you know, shed our ignorance and see the light of the future well, there's the come three, together there's outside the three of the components. places. Dr. Trent says education. I believe in that. I'm not disputing that. We got to know, we got to understand uh, and what we can do and talk to each other and both sides. The doctor has to talk to the patient, the patient has to talk to the doctor. We all have to understand how the process works. I get that. I say though, but it starts with, you got to talk to each other and have a conversation and, and then how we keep the conversation going. It wasn't so, gee, that was horrible. And then I forget about it. An ongoing yeah, conversation. Keep it going. And then yeah. you're talking about, okay, so how do you take that energy, that new, that new found, that new enthusiasm, that conversation and that education and turn it into action and success. Otherwise we're all just bumping into each other and running out of hope. <laughs> <That's good>. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, if anybody, if anybody feels inspired by this conversation, find, find, find me, find Dr. Tren. How do they find know, you? Find Paul. How do they find you? Uh, you can find me at jordannicholas.org. If you want to structurally connect, click join the movement, and that'll connect you to our, our frequent things. I'm at jnicholas1 on most social media. And um, Dr. find Dr. Trent as well. Let either of us know you heard the conversation. You're interested in our work as we the people uh, uh, moving out into seeing how we can help connect and enlighten people around the world. All right. Thank you so much, guys. Let's come All back right, and thanks. do this again. Let's not let the conversation stop here. All right. Name the date and I will be there. Nice okay. to be with you guys. Thanks for joining us. Well, there you have it. Is that the beginning or the end? You tell me. It's all about we the people and coming together, talking through health talks like this right here in Orange County's only community radio station, OC Talk Radio, streaming live from our studios right here at the University of California, Irvine's Beale Applied Innovation Center.